very welcome to UBFit Talks, our regular podcast where in this first series I talk to some of Galway's legendary sporting figures on their careers, successes and challenges along the way. Today I chat to Gavin Duffy, former international rugby player, capped 10 times for Ireland, played over 170 times with Connacht and 110 times with English Premiership side Harlequins. I hope you enjoy our chat. You're very welcome, Gavin, to UB Fit Talks. I'm delighted you came to join us here this evening. And I know you're a busy man with your work with Connacht Rugby and you're going home to Sarah and the kids. So thank you very much for taking time out to chat to us this evening. Oh, I'm delighted to be able to join you, Donner. So thanks for having me. Not at all. My pleasure. Before we get into your fabulous career, and it, it has been a fabulous journey and is a fabulous journey still to go, Last week's match, Ireland versus England, a fantastic result. Absolutely fantastic. Nobody saw it coming. What will that do for the Irish team and dressing room going forward? Oh, I think it'll give them a huge boost of confidence. I think, as you said, not too many people saw that coming. And whatever about you know beating England, everybody wants to beat England. And sometimes you don't care how you beat them. But it was the manner of the performance. Defensively, yeah. they were rock solid. You know, against big men who had steamrolled them for a couple of occasions over the last couple of years and, and you know, really put Ireland to the sword. You know, the defence really stood up. And then in attack, we've heard Johnny Sexton and a few of the players and the leaders saying, look, we're, we're kind of bubbling away here training, but we're not quite showing that on the big stage. For it all to come together on the last day of the championship, I suppose that's what every coach aspires your team to do, is, is to get better and better every game you play. So I, I'd say they'll take great satisfaction out of the fact that they peaked on the last day of the season against England of all teams, but that, you know, it's very clear and evident that some of the, the, the work that they've been putting together off the field came together on the pitch and in particular Keith Earl's try where it was straight out of oh, yeah. the training ground move but what I liked most about it was that there seems to be a lot more freedom in terms of how they played it wasn't as restrictive or shackled perhaps over the last couple of seasons that we've seen there seems to be a lot more fluency about them yeah yeah and a lot of more willingness to offload a lot more willingness to, to play off the cuff it seemed it appeared and that was just great to see and actually if, if you look at their whole campaign in the Five Nations. I mean, they were just a kick of a ball away against beating Wales, a kick of a ball away against beating France, and then they won their last three matches. As you said, it's on an upward curve. Things would look quite good going forward. And, and Andy Farrell has kept to his guns in the context of he hasn't been afraid to make changes, but he's kept to his guns in how he wants to, the, the game to play. Yeah, I think so. And as you touched on there, he, Andy Farrell hasn't been afraid to make t- changes. And I think that's, again, refreshing from an Irish perspective is that people are going to get picked on form. And that just sends a whole level of enthusiasm and eagerness across not just the guys that were in a carton house for the last five, six weeks, but the guys bubbling away, you know, even closer to home in a conic perspective. There's so many guys playing really good rugby, but there'll there'll be that belief now that okay, I gotta get my performance up to a level and consistency. That's probably the, the, the one key element from a conic perspective is is guys to perform consistently. And they'll have that bit of belief now is that well, Andy Farrell is prepared to pick guys on form. And if you're not playing well, you'll get dropped and that opens up doors for everyone else. So that's a great position to be in. Absolutely. Be in that position winning matches, that's that's key, isn't it? Correct. Absolutely. But do you know, do you know what's a great thing, and we're getting on to you now, right, is in the context of Johnny Sexton, Keith Earls. Johnny Sexton, 22 points, 35 years of age, right? Keith Earls, 33 years of age, a score that you'd, you'd, that would grace any rugby pitch, his try. Still playing, still the passion for it, no more than yourself. I mean... I, I, how will I phrase this in such a way? You're closer to 40 than you are to 30. And yet, you've been a professional rugby player for 14 years. You've, in the last couple of years, a few years, you were playing with Mayo when you retired from rugby and still playing senior club football with Salt Hill, not Nicara. What's the drive and passion that makes you want to do that on a regular basis, Gavin? 
Firstly and foremostly, Donna, I wouldn't be doing it unless I loved it. You know, and that's that is the first port of call, I suppose. Do you do you love doing what you're doing? And I certainly do. Uh, it's it's I suppose why I probably finished rugby at the age of 32. And you know, when you see Johnny Sexton going on and Keith Earls going on a little bit longer, like physically at the time I felt okay-ish. You know, I had, I had a few issues, maybe perhaps with my shoulder that was kind of annoying me. I was beginning to kind of fall in and out of the team a little bit. I suppose I was struggling to reset my goals for what I wanted to achieve personally. I had always aspired to play for Ireland. I had achieved that not often, nowhere near as often as, as I would have liked to have played. And I think no matter how many caps you get, you'll, you'll always want one more. You'll always feel, geez, I could have got one more game. So yeah, you, you have to kind of be content with what you got and be grateful for what you got. But I think once I, I, I missed out in the 2011 World Cup, I was really driving for that World Cup because I'd, I'd gone to the 2007 World Cup I got onto the bench against France. I got 10 minutes against Argentina, I think, in the, the last group game. So it was a disastrous campaign all around, but I didn't feel like I had contributed as much as I wanted to have. But at the same time, I look back now and I go, thanks be to God I got that 10 minutes because at least I can kind of say I played in the World Cup as opposed to going to the World Cup. Like, I go to the yeah. World Cup when I'm 70, you know, and, and yeah. watch the World Cup, but at least I can say I played in the World Cup. So I'm grateful for that. 10 minutes but I suppose when I missed out in 2011 I found that hard to readjust and think right well is 2015 a realistic goal for me can I drive myself to 2015 and actually I came back out in 2011 and played some great rugby then for Connacht I felt in a way and I'm, I'd be the first to say if I was playing crap but I think that's half my my issue as well but I thought I was playing really good rugby and I remember I was back involved with Ireland and, and a few of the squads and you know a feeling I was I was getting close to getting back in and, and being picked on merit and then just quite, kind of just fell short again and even on one occasion kind of being told look there's going to be an injury and you're next in you know like you, you're that close and I remember driving home thinking Jesus I'm, I'm like next weekend you know I could be in next weekend you know I think I, I went to Italy actually as a 24th man at the time so you're, you're not there's 23 people in the squad an extra two people perhaps in cases of sickness or an illness or whatever and Ireland nearly got beaten by Italy a game in Rome I think Ron McGarry got a drop goal at the end to, to rescue it and I remember thinking okay I, I think I'll I'm going to be in with a good shout next weekend I think you know someone like Lucas Sherrod that played full back hadn't necessarily a great game I have a little bit question underneath the high ball which I thought I was a little bit stronger than him and thinking okay I think I'm going to be in here now and I think there was a back an injury in the back three as well and I remember distinctly thinking Monday Tuesday I trained all right and then on the Tuesday I was told look you're not getting the nod this weekend and I was like <laughs> you shouldn't have told me, you shouldn't have, we should have not have had that conversation last week about me being close because now yeah. you have to demoralize me between that and then a few, a few injuries and then my my form then kind of dipped a bit and i was in and out of the team at connacht and then i was i was really struggling to find that bit inside me to drive me and motivate me to dangle a carrot i didn't know what that carrot should be anymore and as a result over over a period of time i, I kind of fell out of love a little bit with it and the purpose and the, the reason that i was getting up in the morning and training on the monday and tackling michael swift or ultimate land and the tackling drill when <laughs> you know they're they're, yeah. they're 20 kgs heavier than that people forget that you know they yeah. see contact on a Saturday, but they don't see the contact that's going on a kind of monday tuesday wednesday you know yeah and like i remember distinctly ultimate land was only a young fella like him I had to tackle him in a, in a drill and he ran over the top of me. And I kind of went, the reason he's ran over the top of me here is because he wants this more than me. You know, right. I was trying to survive training and hoping to, get, hoping to get picked at the weekend, whereas this guy was bursting at training to get picked for the weekend. So that upped your game probably, did it? It did, but it also made me realise, Donna, that I perhaps didn't have that drive in me. And that, that, that really started to, it got at me a bit in terms of like, okay. oh, shake yourself out of this. Like, you know, this is, you're doing something that you love to do. 
but I think everyone comes to a point where they see the end is nigh. And, you know, I didn't want to continue on and just be a part of the squad. And I didn't want to hang around too long if I wasn't really going to contribute. And I, I look, I, I kind of came then to an end with Connacht and I looked elsewhere and I thought maybe I could re-spark myself in a new environment. But ultimately, I think my wife probably knew me better than me and she knew what I was like around the house and said, look, all right. <laughs> You know, you're not, you're not the easiest to live with at the best of times, but when rugby's not going well, you're certainly not easy to live with. And we started, you know, a young family at the time. We had a two-year-old and, and another kid on the way. And I suppose I painted the picture then of going away somewhere else to France or to Italy and saying, look, these are the opportunities. This, this is what we could do. This is, you yes. know, you know I, paint, I remember distinctly painting the picture of, sure, look, you know, the weather will be great till October time. It'll be Christmas then. You get a bit of a break. And, you know, we'll have people who love to come out to the south of France to us or to Italy to us and visit us and... Sure, before you know it, the weather will be turning good again. And, you know, that sales pitch probably didn't seem to work. Did it work? It didn't work because ultimately she came back and said, but yeah, but you're going to be playing rugby. And are you going to enjoy playing rugby? Because if you're not going to enjoy playing rugby, I can't handle you being like you've been for the last year where, you know, you're not yourself and you're not, you don't seem to be enjoying it. And I suppose that was a really good question to ask. And ultimately, I suppose my answer was, I don't, I don't know. And I don't think so. You know, and, and I, I, I put myself in a position that, well, if I'm not, fully committed to my home province as much as I was or driven, then what am I going to be like if I go to another club and things aren't going well? Yes. No, that's not going to be a good situation yeah. for anyone to be in. So. And is this true to say, Gavin, on your last match for Connacht, there was a phone call I didn't hear from James Horn. Mayo's football manager. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah, so I suppose everything kind of came to a head. I suppose I was always a bit of a warrior, Donners, in terms of what's next after rugby. You know, when I was into rugby, I was coming out of secondary school and did I think I was going to become a professional rugby player? No, I, I was going to come to Galway, do my commerce degree and then possibly go back and work with my family business, which was a bakery in Balna. That's um, right, Duff's Bakery. Yeah. Duff's Bakery, yeah. And I would have worked there every summer. And I thought that was ultimately where I'd go when I played rugby and I'd, you know, play at the highest level I possibly could. And nowhere did I ever put down I want to be a professional rugby player. And I didn't think about being a professional rugby player like and, and to the point where, you know, when I was up in the IRFU uh, 17 or 18 prior to doing my leaving search and I was asked a question, you know, would you, would you come into the Irish Academy? And at that stage, it was an Irish Academy. There wasn't any provincial academies. And I said, look, I'd be, yeah, I'm sure I'd be interested. And OK, well, then where are you going to go to college and what are you going to do? And I said, well, I want to do commerce in Galway. And I'm thinking about playing for Galwegians at the time. They just won promotion back up to Division One. Eric Ellawood was playing for them. John Kingston was the coach who had come from from Richmond, a lot of the kind of players were playing there and just a lot of momentum behind Galwegians at the time. And they were thrown back at me like, well, you realise Galway, yeah. Galway is the graveyard of ambition. What was said to me? Um, <laughs> why would you want to go to Galway? In rugby, so, uh, purely in rugby terms. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah, purely in rugby terms. I was going, well, and I remember my dad sitting beside me in the office near a few and I kind of said, well, that's up to the individual, surely, like what you make of where you go. And yeah. But at, at no stage did I ever think like, well, how is this going to impact me being a professional rugby player? It's just like, I want to go there because yes. A, commerce, and then I'll get that course and keep my parents happy. And yeah. I'll B, I'll play with a really good team in Galwegians, albeit from a Balna, you know, I'm a proud Balna man, but I could see, play with Galwegians, hopefully play with Connacht. I'm sure then we'll see what happens. So I suppose I was always worrying then in the background, what am I going to do when uh, rugby finishes up? I had a commerce degree, I had a strength and conditioning degree. And I started looking at life after rugby and perhaps I, I didn't become as daunted then about life after rugby. And then coincided with that, Donners, as you said, I got a phone call from James Horn on the day of my last game with Connacht. Was but that out of the blue? Completely out of the blue. Out of the blue? Completely out of the right. blue. And that opened up just a whole different level of possibility in my head. 
to the extent that when I had finished up with Connacht, I still hadn't formally announced I was retiring from from professional rugby. I just kind of left it open ended, <laughs> just in case I, yeah. I, I yeah. Pick up just, the want to close the door behind you. Yeah, you know, just in case. I, I, we still laugh sometimes in the office, like you know, when they're announcing, you know, the Connacht team, whatever. Or there's a another, and they're not too sure, and they're like, "Shikab, you haven't retired yet, have you?" Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that phone call came and then that just completely changed the, the scene. The dynamic. Gaelic was in you too. I mean, you, you, you were a Mayo minor, so you played the All-Ireland minor in 1999. Isn't that correct? So Gaelic per se wasn't a whole new code to you. You hadn't played it for a long time, but it wasn't anything new to you. No, nothing new at all. But my God, had the game changed since I played it at minor level? In what way would you say? In what way? That quickly became apparent. <laughs> or maybe I had changed. <laughs> Certainly, I had changed. So even in terms of my first training session... What, what way do you think it changed? Okay, from, from when I had played the game, I was 18, 19 years of age. I was playing minor, and I'd, my last game was for Balmain Stevenites in a championship game against Doc Moore. And I think we drew. And I didn't play the replay because I went off with Ireland to Australia on a school's rugby tour. And little did I think I, I wouldn't play football. I, I'd gone training, or I hadn't kicked the ball since 2000. And then it was 2014 all of a sudden. So I suppose I had changed in terms of my physique in terms of my ability, I thought I would still be able to run from one 13-yard line to another 13-yard line and, you know, pick up the ball and do one-twos and solo and, yeah. you know, and then stand in midfield and catch the kick out and do, do it all over again. But I quickly learned how, like, even in terms of how quickly the kick out was taken. So yes. Like Short, long, ch- different changes. Yes. I remember distinctly in one of the first A versus B matches I played in and I was marking Aidan O'Shea and I thought, Physically, I'd be able to match up to him. Like I thought I would be as fit as him. But in terms of how the game was being played, Aiden must have thought, you know, I togged in and didn't turn up. <laughs> turn up. Because, like, you know, I was making a run to, to get off the shoulder of a, cor- of a corner forward or the full forward. And whether the ball ended up over the bar or wide or whatever the, might, the case might be, ball was kicked out before I even got back out past the 20-yard line. <laughs> you know, Gaelic football, again, I, I'd forgotten how you can be tackled from behind. You could be, yes. you know ball goes into into touch but your marker or somebody else has made a run straight away they're not yes. waiting for the referee you know whereas we'd wait for the referee to say look play on or whatever and marking someone like Kevin McLaughlin sure that was they're left yeah. dust. <laughs> but you're always also very passionate about Gaelic football I heard when you were at schools you, uh, in Ross Grey you reached the Leinster schools final that'd be accurate wouldn't it be in uh, again in 99 so yeah you actually have the distinction of playing in Lansdowne Road the the old Lansdowne Road of Viva now and Crow Park all in the one year one with Leinster Schools final Ross Gray versus Blackrock and, and the other Mayo versus Down in the All-Ireland minor final but is it true to say that under your Ross Gray shirt in the Leinster Schools final you wore a Ballinay's Ballinay Stevenites uh, jersey would that be accurate? That's correct because on the same day Ballinay were playing across town in Crow Park when they lost they were playing the All-Ireland club the All-Ireland club final yeah yeah and right and then in 2005, I'm correct in St. Balnar, I think we're in the All-Ireland Final 2005. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, yes. Yeah, and that weekend, I think I'm correct in saying, that weekend I was on a plane with Ireland, and I, I think I met the Balnar crew in City West when they were coming up to Dublin, and we were going out to play Wales. I think it was that same weekend we were playing Wales in a Grand Slam decider. I think, I'm sure it was Wales or something like that. So again, I missed that final. I would have gone to that final, obviously, to watch yeah. it. Lads. But um, yeah, there's certain overlaps there. But yeah, look, I suppose growing up in Balna, hugely boarding town. And, and one thing I, I really appreciate now is that there was never any pressure to favour one sport over another. 
there was you know great people. That's a question I have for you again. Is what made you decide? I mean, you did play in a minor All Ireland final, as I said, at midfield in 1999. But what made you decide rugby versus Gaelic football? Because you were at the peak of both of them, and yeah, you and could I, represented I, seniors on a regular basis. And I, and I think even at that stage, John, as I mentioned, that meeting in the RFU where where there was one gentleman saying, "Look, you know, this is." You know, are you going to accept this, and are you going to go down the route of rugby, and and is that your career? Is that what you want to do? And I kind of went, well, I'm not too sure. I, I hadn't, I, I know I have to make my mind up, but not today. <laughs> you know, maybe I could do so down the line. And there's a guy in the room, Liam, Liam Hennessy, who was well-renowned physical fitness and conditioning coach, and right. uh, worked with a lot of top soccer clubs around the world, and was head of IRFU athletic performance as well for a while. And, and Liam kind of stepped in and said, look, this is a big decision for you, and I appreciate it is because. You know, it's clear that you're passionate about GA, it's clear you're passionate about rugby, but this is a big decision. So it's not a decision to be made for today. But he goes, just take my advice that you will have to make that decision at some stage. If you're serious about reaching the top of one, you know, you're not going to do it in rugby and football. Some lads try to do it in hurling and football and they've succeeded, but that's becoming rarer and rarer. And he said, you will have to choose at some stage. And the game of rugby will require a lot more physical attributes than GAA. So I suppose that kind of made up my mind a little bit, Donners, in terms of, well, if I want to stay physically able for rugby, let's give that a crack first and see how we get on. Yeah. So rugby's benefit that you did do that. You had two stints with Connacht as well. Your, your first stint was in z- 01, isn't that correct? And then in 03, you went to, Har- you were nearly going to go to Munster. Would that be accurate? Well, but you ended up going to Harlequins. I, yeah, I went to Harlequins. I suppose it like that. I, uh, and the reason for what sparked the change was because Connacht had gone through a lot of uncertainty, you know, around when they cut four provinces down to three. There wasn't a clear path for Connacht at the time. And I remember even the coach saying one of the lads had an offer to go to Leeds, I think, at the time and approached the coach. And I think almost the feedback was, well, if you've got something on the table, it's better than nothing at the moment from Connacht. Now, you know, I suppose I wasn't in that particular position or mindset. But at the same time, I had worked closely with John Kingston at Colwegians, as I had mentioned, and he had gone to Harlequins. And Johnny O'Connor was going to Wasps at the time, and we ended up living together in London. But to be quite blunt about it, I never had a passion to play for another province. I, I just right. couldn't see myself doing it. You know, I, I just you were kind of true and true. It it just it just it couldn't. I couldn't make sense with it in my head. You know, I just said like, well, I can't be as passionate about Munster or Leinster than I am with Connacht. So in my head, I reasoned that it was better to go elsewhere. And the reason for Harlequins was because I knew got John Kingston was there, and I suppose sometimes. When you're going with coaches, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And I knew that he had he had backed me, he'd seen something in me, and he was backing me at Harlequins. And I said, Johnny Connor went to Wasp at the same time, and we ended up living with Johnny. Um, but it was a, a very enjoyable three and a half, four years in London. Well, it was very enjoyable. It was also very successful. You you, you had a famous victory over there, didn't you? In zero four, was it? Yeah, zero four. Our first year in particular was was hugely successful. It was the, the highest I think the club had finished in a couple of years in the league, and we had a really good bunch of lads, and I think that that was evident, particularly in the last parts of the season, where we managed to have some really, really good victories. When we managed to kind of come back to the death in a few games, and none, none more so than the Challenge Cup final, where we bet Clermont Ferrand in in the final, and they were star-studded team, and uh, we scored. I think I remember Jason Leonard. For, we used to slag him, saying he didn't do much that season, but what he did do was particularly well on that particular game. He came on as a sub, and we gave away a penalty inside our own 22. And it's basically the last play of the game. But Jason decided to have a little dig at his opposite man after the penalty was given. The opposite man retaliated. So the penalty was reversed in our favour. And that was our last chance. I kicked up the line to touch. And we got a line out, scored off the line out. 
and that was it. Game was over. So we we slagged Fantastic. Jason. That. He might have done much that year on the back of winning the, winning the World Cup, but Jesus, he won us that game by um he literally got a retaliation out of uh, out of his opposite number. That was his experience, I'd imagine. He got a well, retaliation. He, absolutely, he, he was playing the cues. I mean, he he, he was a, a World Cup winner with England, wasn't that correct? Yeah. And Will Green was Will Greenwood was there as well. Will Greenwood as well, and yeah, look, and that was I suppose part of the attraction was those those guys I I knew I could learn off, in particular Will Greenwood. I always thought he was just magic like he looked like a guy who had so much time in the ball and he was playing center obviously and I just thought if I'm playing outside him whether it's 13 a fullback then my game can only improve as well so uh yeah look there was some some great players at Harlequins I think in, in that first year in particular though we, we had a, a you know we had Will Greenwood we had Jason Leonard but it was mo- more so built around probably lesser known players the Irish guys that went over there at the time like we just we hit it off and we had the time of our lives over there and I think that like, we had a good team spirit and, uh, I was just about to say, you put your finger on two things there in relation to sport or any aspect of life is, is it's A, the collective effort that really brings you over the line and B, it's never over till it's over. Yeah, it is. You know, and, I, and, and, and the first part is, unless you have that collective spirit, then, it, then it's, it's, it's probably over before you even hit the field, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Correct, oh, absolutely. Every day, especially in sport. Yeah. And you came back to Connacht then in 06. Would that be right, Kevin? Yeah, just before... Um, Probably March 2007, like that, I was kind of beginning to fall in and out of the Harlequins team at the time. And Ireland had just been beaten by France, I think, in Lansdowne Road. And Eddie Sullivan gave me a call and said, look, what's the story with you? Because you would be involved with Ireland more regularly if you were getting picked by Harlequins more regularly. You know, what, what's going on? And I said, look, I just, I think I'm kind of falling between two stools here a little bit. There was obviously a new kid on the block coming through, Mike Brown, who's gone on to have a stellar career with Harlequins and, and, and England. And I was kind of, in and out of the team with, with his his arrival onto the scene. Um, and he said, well, look, if you want to go to the World Cup, you've got to get back playing again. And at the same time, Connacht had, had achieved some relative success getting some semi-finals of, of European competitions. And one of the hardest games I ever played was in the lead-up to that final that we bet Claremont for on. We bet Connacht in the semi-final. Harlequins won the first leg in London, came across to, to Galway, lost the second leg, but just scraped through because Will Greenwood got a, a, a try laid on to make sure we went through an aggregate. And coming off the field, I met Jerry Kelly, who was the CEO at the time, and I knew Jerry pretty well from my time in Connacht, obviously. And he was crying, and he set me off. I was crying. I was in the dressing room afterwards, and I was crying then. And Will Greenwood goes, "What are you crying? What like, what's wrong with you?" And I said, "I don't know what's wrong." It was with just me. one. I didn't know what was wrong with me because we got to the final. Everyone's delighted, but um, but I knew deep down was that I I wanted to be part of some of Connacht's biggest days, and that was a massive day in the sports yes. round. Like I'd never seen so many people in the sports round outside of maybe when New Zealand had, had come over in 97, which was my first game I ever went to for a Connacht game. So I kind of knew deep down I wanted to be involved in some of those big days for Connacht. So 2000, kind of the World Cup was on the horizon. And so there was two things. One, I knew I needed to get back playing rugby regularly to feature for, for Ireland. And secondly, then was there was an opportunity to go back to Connacht. So once I'd made my mind up that I'd go back to Connacht, kind of the summer of 2007, I then actually asked Harlequins, look, my, my goal is to play for Ireland in, in the World Cup would you be happy for me to leave early? Um, thankfully, they said yes. If I left another week, I think they would have said no because there was two injuries uh, oh, wow. that following Saturday. So I don't know. It's everything. It's, it's time is everything. But, um, you know, I, I, it's, it was a great decision. Just Absolutely a fantastic decision. Absolutely. And in, in the context, going back to the Irish situation, I mean, you, you were Irish school's captain. You played sevens for Ireland in 2000. You played with the Irish under-21s, the Ireland Day. To get your first call up to get that phone call or is it through the post <laughs> i'm not sure i i never yeah. got that far by it <laughs> but it must be something else to be called up 
for the Irish senior team. Yeah, it was. And it's kind of surreal, too, in terms of, well, this is really happening. I think it's only when you talk to people outside of, you know, my, my parents in particular and my dad, like, you're sure they were made up. And my dad then went to South Africa with a couple of his buddies. I think they were traveling and just to be there just in case. And, you know, I, I, I didn't make the first uh, team against uh, South Africa up in uh, Bloemfontein. And then the second week, I ended up on the bench kind of the last minute. I shared a room with Jordan Murphy and he got sick on the Thursday, Friday, and then he declared himself fish on Friday night. And Saturday morning was given the all clear. And I went off with my dad for a wander around the town and make sure he got something nice for my mum to say, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed my trip, but I was still thinking of you. And I, I remember the mobile phones back in the day, like sure, you just left them in the room in case anybody was actually gone dead or something. Yeah. I came back to the hotel and the doctor was at the, the front hotel looking for me. And he said, Eddie's looking for you. You better go find him. So I went up and, and at that time it was team lunch. So I went up to Eddie and I said, you're looking for me. And he said, uh, there's two things I think people I've said during my sporting career that, that stick with me to today but one of them was Eddie that day he said get your head out of your hole you're on the bench <laughs> so, uh, I was like right so, uh, I just remember forget, going, uh, forget I, the forget the presence forget the presence yeah so uh, I was like Jesus okay that's you know probably I don't know it was like two and a half hours before kickoff kind of we were literally 10 minutes from the ground I think we walked to the ground even so yeah so I remember getting on to my dad and ringing, ringing home to my mum and then uh, standing the national anthems. And, and the one part I loved about it, Donners, was out of all the sea of people that I, I was looking at across during the international anthems was I saw my dad in the crowd and he had a Balnad jumper on at the time and he just put up his hand. And, and out of all, whatever it was, 60,000 people in the stadium in Newlands in, in Cape Town, I saw him. And that was very special, very special moment. To see your dad, 60,000 people, and you getting your first cap. That's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and running cool. on. That was pretty cool, you know. And, and then ultimately, then you're just hoping you get a game. So I came off the bench after 17 minutes. Gervin Dempsey got an eye injury. And then that was pretty, that was just, and I remember, again, Shane, Shane Byrne saying to me, he was a lineup to Ireland at the time. And I came on the pitch and Shane Byrne kind of cleaned off the ball. And he looked at me, he goes, this is what you wanted, wasn't it? And I, I wasn't nervous. I just felt so alive. I don't know, like, Don has a few of experience. I'm sure you have running onto that pitch, 50,000 people, first cap against South Africa. Phenomenal. Yeah. And out of all the, all the matches that you played, Gavin, and the tries that you've scored, is there one vivid try, one try that you say, I, you just, it's etched in your memory? I'm not too sure if the one that, that's the reason all this, that it's the only picture that I think my parents have up with me playing rugby at home is when I scored against Scotland. They have it in the bathroom upstairs somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't remember much of it. That's one I suppose that caught the imagination of a lot of people at the time because you know a lot of people watch the Six Nations and it's one that people would, would refer to sometimes to me and it's 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 lovely when people say, Oh, I remember where, where I was when you scored that try against Scotland and you know, whether they're from Balna or whether they're from Mayo or from Connacht and they say, Oh, I remember you playing that game and that's the game that people seem to remember or the try people seem to remember because I suppose just because of the occasion of the Six Nations match. So it's not, it's a nice one that people kind of bring up every now and again and now do you miss the rugby do you miss the actual i know i know you're involved with college rugby on, on, on the commercial side on the, on the business side of things but do you miss the actual day-to-day -day activity on the pitch no no i i don't miss playing at all donners and i haven't missed playing at all since i retired and i think that says a lot i suppose probably of where i was at the time but i have to say that the gaa has has really helped in that regard whether that was you know getting stuck in with Mayo, but even more so getting stuck in with Sultan at Nakara. And, and, the, and the reason I wanted to play with Sultan Nakara, one was because I love playing football and I love being involved in team sports, but also because whilst I've been living here since 2007, 
I didn't really know anybody within the locality, within the area, because my my bubble was the rugby bubble. I got to know one or two people through Keen Begley, for example, who 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 played a lot of gay football with Sultan on the car and lived in the area. And I got to know one or two of the lads through him. But ultimately, like uh, we were, I suppose, in 2014, when I retired, we'd, as I mentioned, we had one child, two-year-old, we had another girl due that June. And my wife is starting to put down roots. She's from England. She's starting to put down roots, obviously, at that stage and started her own business. And so we kind of, well, this is going to be home for us, you know. So, and I, I had all the benefits of sport growing up. And I could see my dad, when he was meeting his friends, they were all the guys from the rugby club. They were the guys from the GAA club. They were the guys that he'd formed bonds with over sports. And how sports still uh, played a part in their role in their lives, whether they were watching matches, going to matches, talking about matches, but the the, the sense of camaraderie that gave them. So I was very conscious of that and, and being able to walk into a local pub or go to a shop or walk down the prom and just know people. So, and I wanted to play Gaelic football with one of my friends, Keen. You know, I, I yeah. hadn't played rugby with them. They had gone to Corinthians, I had gone to Cohesions. So I wanted to play sports with friends as well. He obviously picked the right club, by the way, Corinthians, just to say that to you. <laughs> I'm a Corinthian, right yeah. Yeah, I don't that. Um, but I, uh, you know, and so there's so many reasons, but mostly, more so that I just wanted to play and get to know people. Yeah, I get to know people yeah. in, the, in the area. And Makes a lot I of sense. And also, also, your your granny, by the way, is from was from Reaver Road, isn't that correct? Correct. In, yeah, in, just or, up behind Leisureland. Yeah, so, not a lot of people know that that you have a massive connection with all, besides your friends. Yeah, very much. So. I would have been down here like so many times growing up. You know, like I, like there's pictures of me. In Nappy, in a Nappy on the prom, you know, like we would have gone to Leisland, we would have, you know, stayed obviously in, in Salt Hill, and my mum would have grown up. Uh, one of five Egan sisters would have, you know, people say, which one, who, who are you, where are you from? I say, oh, yeah. my mum was one of the Egan sisters, and which one is that? Uh, you know, so there's a connection there that I, that people may or may not know, but it's nice when that connection does come up, where people goes, oh yeah, I remember, right. your, I remember your, your your grandparents, and then my, my grandmother would have lived in her latter years in, in Rockbarton Court, so I would have looked out the back of the prairie and Pierce. I know it well. Absolutely, looking out onto that. Onto that yeah, so, so it, was, it was bizarre almost in a way that then that became my home ground uh, in yeah. terms of the prairie and uh, Salton and Cara. So, but I've loved every minute of it. And, and back to the, probably the original question, Don, is what you asked was, why do you still do it? It's because I, I, I enjoy doing it. Um, yeah. yeah certain times where, you know, you finish work or you're under pressure or, you know, it, it all comes down to what are your priorities in life and what are your values? And, and for me, sport is a large part of that. And you talked about work there. You're still actively involved. Isn't it great? You're involved with Connacht Rugby. You're, what's your what's your role inside? Yeah, so I'd be a partnership manager, I suppose, looking after all the sponsorship partners that we have across the club. So um, on the commercial team, I suppose our, our, our remit is to to bring in as much revenue as we can to, to continue the, the development of the game, not just at the professional level, but right throughout the grassroots and the, the kind of the 26 clubs and the, you know, the, the growing amount of schools that are now participating in, in rugby. And whether that's uh, boys under eights or girls under eights or, or the growing adult game as well in terms of the, the female participation, that's, I suppose that's what's motivating me is because I know the, the opportunity rugby gave me, I suppose kind of rugby, our purpose is to provide that opportunity to as many kids as possible that want to play. No, it's a, it's absolutely a fantastic role, and it still gives you a massive input, even though it's not on the field, it's off the field. How are you finding it in the current climate? That's been challenging, Donna, is the more than yourself, you know, in terms of the, the your your day job as well, you know, and you're inter- interacting yeah. with people. And we haven't had people through the gates since this time last year, since last March, last February, I think it was the last home game. So that's been particularly challenging. Thankfully, the professional game has still gone ahead. They've obviously, first of all, getting an allowance from the government and, and government bodies to continue on. 
but the work that the operations team and the professional players and staff themselves have put in in order to maintain that bubble and, and you know there's been one or two cases of COVID but the the lengths that they've gone to to ensure that on a Monday and a Tuesday they know exactly who's training with who they're in a bubble of two or three players that if one person got COVID they didn't bring down the whole house of cards yes. that they could actually go back and review video and say okay well player X he only integrated with two other players that day in terms of the gym or on the field and then they got tested every week they get a clearance on a Wednesday and then they train as a unit on a Thursday and then they go and travel and they, that mean that meant they got two buses instead of one that meant they got a charter flight and all their seats were laid out as if they were still on the buses some organisation goes into it oh yeah so if I step beside you in a bus from here to Shannon Airport I, I was still sitting beside you on the airplane there was nothing left to chance I didn't just yeah. walk onto the airplane and sit down beside somebody else that I hadn't seen there like they still kept within you know, so they'd only ever come into close contact with two or three players. So there's a huge amount of effort into it. And the players themselves, like they've had to, so it's virtually cocoon as well. So so credit goes to those guys for keeping the show on the road, but credit also to our partners who a lot of them have gone through tough times as well over the last 12 months and they've kept on board. And I think one thing that's kept us going is that there, normality will come back. Like I have no doubt that we will have packed sports round again and we look forward to people coming back in and supporting the team and getting the pleasure and joy out of, out of doing so. Absolutely, absolutely. And the best luck with it all. And here's a question to conclude. If you hadn't been a professional rugby player, what do you think you would have been? I think I, I it's funny, I was a baker, I was a fourth generation of a baker. Thing. So the bakery would have, family business would have established in 1904. And I had every intention of going in to be a baker. But yet, I, I was only ever good for sweeping the floors during the summertime or getting out in the vans and delivering bread. And it's only until lockdown that I actually baked my first loaf of bread. So I would have been the fourth generation to go into the bakery. The bakery unfortunately closed 2007, 2008. But I suppose that was my intention, Donners. That was, that was right. again, family working with my dad and, and being involved in that was something that I would have, I think I would have relished as well. But yeah, that's where I thought my path would have gone. I hear you. I hear you. Well, all I'd say, Gavin, is the baker's loss has been rugby's gain. So, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be wild to get to master the bake, the bacon of the bread anyway. But uh, lockdown has been long enough that I, I think I produced a good loaf at this stage. <laughs> well, Gavin, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on board and just been very open and chatting away. I really appreciate it. And the best of luck with your future endeavours on the sports pitch with Salt in, not in the car, of course. I hope you bring home the Frank Fox prize to, to, to the parish and equally with Connacht Rugby. I wish you the best on your endeavours. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you, Donners. Cheers.